Hey, if you have your Bibles today, we are in Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one is where we'll hang out for the next eight weeks. If you got a bulletin when you walked in, I'll have some notes to help you kind of follow along in our Bible study time today. If you did not bring a Bible, everything I read from scripture will be on the screen, so it should be pretty easy for you to follow along. If you have a smartphone, you should download the Bible app. That will help you every Sunday just kind of track the scripture that we're reading. We ended not just last Sunday, but we ended a three-year study in the book of Matthew last Sunday with the great commission of Jesus. Last week after three years, just like the disciples walk with Jesus for three years, last week after three years we ended the life of Jesus, but we started the mission of Jesus. And we said last week that in 2024 we're gonna start an 18-month initiative of our church called Come and Surrender. And the goal of our church, what we are asking of you as you lean into the great commission of Jesus is that you would surrender 1% more of your life for kingdom living for the purpose of kingdom movement. While it sounds like a very, very small ask, we said this would take a very, very big impact. If you surrender 1% of your day, 14.4 minutes, you can read your Bible through in a year. If you surrender 1% of your week, about an hour and 40 minutes, you could be in spiritual community with people who know and love you. If you surrender 1% of your month, seven hours and 40 minutes, three Sundays out of four, you could both come to church and serve somewhere in the church. If you surrender 1% of your year, three and a half weeks, you could serve in our community or maybe even go on a mission trip. We believe surrendering small amounts to Jesus with the presence of Jesus can lead to huge impact. And in 2024, we'll kind of start that 18-month journey through the book of Acts, looking at what it looks like to leverage our entire life for the mission of Jesus. But our training wheels, kind of the railroad tracks that we're going to begin to lay this fall just to get our mindset into a place of surrender, is a Bible study in the book of Philippians called The Surrendered Life. We'll spend eight weeks and look through the four chapters of the book of Philippians, learning how to live a life from a place of spiritual surrender, looking at very specific opportunities to surrender. Today, we're gonna be talking about surrendering our situation. We're gonna look at verse one, then pause. Just let me give you a little bit of the context of the book. And then we will start today and for the next eight weeks looking at every word in this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Paul begins this way, Paul and Timothy. It's his friend, ministry apprentice that he was with. Servants of Christ Jesus to God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. So as we jump into this letter, let's just give you a little bit of background on the city of Philippi and the church of Philippi, just so you kind of know where we are in scriptural history and maybe even geographically. That always helps me to be able to see my city that I'm living in for a little bit. So Philippi um, was one of the most important Roman cities in the Roman Empire that was not in Italy. Uh, I want to go ahead and show you a picture of it. We'll come back to the graphic for those of you who are like, wait a minute, I need to fill in the blanks. We'll be there in a minute. You can see Rome, the city of Rome in Italy. You can see where most of the Roman Empire was located. Philippi was in what's now northeastern Greece, and it was like the last major city before you opened the door further east to Asia Minor and then kind of all of Asia. And it became a place uh, that was important in 356 B.C., Here's what happened. In about 400 BC, they had the San Francisco gold rush. They found gold in the mountains that were just outside the the plain that this city would be settled on. And Alexander the Great's father, a man named Philip of Macedon, went and set up shop and basically made sure that the, the kingdom that he led sucked all the gold out of that hills to run his province. His son would inherit a large part of that and then go conquer the world with it. So he set up the city, he named it after himself, Philip of Macedonia, the, the city of Philippi in Macedonia, 
But then after the reign of Alexander the Great, it would go dead for about 300 years. And then it would rise to prominence again in the Roman Empire. Somebody asked me after this morning's message, are you talking about the Roman Empire because that's what people do now? I said, I'm not sure what you mean, but I'm talking about the Roman Empire because it's in the Bible, but I guess people are talking about the Roman Empire this day and age. I guess it's a thing. So you're welcome. You now can talk about the Roman Empire this week as well. Um, in 42 BC, there was a civil war going on in the Roman Republic in the armies of Octavius, who would become Caesar Augustus, the first Caesar of Roman. Uh, the armies of Octavius and Antony would meet the armies of Brutus and Cassius on the plains of Philippi. And they would literally win a war that would change the Roman Republic into a Roman Empire. About a decade later, Octavius, Octavius would proclaim himself a god. He would take the name Caesar Augustus. And when he kind of set up the Roman Empire, because Philippi meant so much in his past and history, he set it up as a colony for any retired soldier in the Roman Empire who wanted to go live lavish life in a Roman city. So this city was filled with, filled with retired Roman soldiers. It was built to look like Rome. They dressed like Rome. They had Roman customs. They used Roman money. They didn't pay taxes because they had fought to set up the, fight to set up the empire. And by the time the apostle Paul arrived there, the Ignatian Way, the Roman roads ran through this. You could not get from Europe to Asia without passing through Philippi. It was a massively important place. So in Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul is called there to go plant a church. And as we read about the church that Paul started, this was a legendary New Testament church. As a matter of fact, most of the stories and names that you may have heard if you grew up in the church in the New Testament come from the church of Philippi. Uh, this is the church that Paul started because Paul was in Turkey and he wanted to go towards China. Um, and God told him, no, you can't go towards China. He fell asleep. He had a dream of a man in Macedonia saying, hey, come tell us about Jesus. So they go to Europe instead of going to the far east. And he goes down to the river, and there's a bunch of women who are worshiping there on the Lord's Day. And he meets a businesswoman named Lydia, and he leads her to Christ. And she kind of introduces him to the influential people of the city. And they start a church there. He has a sidekick with him named Silas. They get arrested and put in prison, Paul and Silas in prison. All of that in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. They're worshiping one night, and God sends an angel to have an earthquake so there could be this big prison break. And the soldier was going to kill himself because he thought everyone escaped. And Paul's like, no, brother, we're right here. And he leads this soldier and his entire family to Jesus and he baptizes them before the sun comes up. And then the next day, uh, the Romans are like, okay, you can leave now. And Paul's like, I'm a Roman citizen and you beat me without a trial. I, I ain't leaving until we talk about this. And it appears they apologized, gave him some hush money and said, we're really sorry about that. Now leave the city. Like all of those stories happened in this church in Philippi. 10 years after this church has been planted, we find the apostle Paul in prison in Rome for preaching the faith of Jesus in Israel in a way that has disturbed the peace. And he's writing letters to his friends that he started, church, started churches with. So Philippians is one of four prison epistles written from Rome along with Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon to just kind of say, hey, here's what's going on with me. Like, keep fighting the good fight. It's interesting because in the very first verse, he says, I'm writing this letter to the overseers and the deacons. You say, who, who is that? He's writing a letter to the staff and the volunteers of the church. That's what that would be. The people who run the organization and the deacons were the men and the women who served as volunteers in the church. He wanted the staff and the volunteers to know that he was praying for them and that God had a plan for them. 
Uh, we don't write letters in our day and age. Um, we have services. So we have a service for our volunteers coming up called Inspire. Um, we do one of these in the spring, one of them in the fall. It's basically a party for our volunteers to say thank you. It'll be on Sunday night, October 15th um, at 5 p.m. Don't worry, there's not a Chiefs game that day. We already checked. We, God forbid, would not want you to ever miss a Chiefs game to do anything um, for Jesus. So no Chiefs stuff. It's just going to kind of be like a fall festival. We'll have bonfires. We'll have s'mores. We'll have a cookout. We'll have a good time. Just kind of let you know what God's doing in our church. But volunteers, uh, mark that down because from the New Testament era, there, there has been inside inspirational message given for the people serving the church. That's just what we're trying to do on October 15th. And Paul writes this letter and he says, I want you to be aware of my situation and how surrendering my situation is working out really, really good spiritually. As we keep reading in the text, we read this in verse two. So Paul's like, hey, what's up? Here's what's going on. Know a little bit about the book now. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. As we talk about what it looks like to surrender our situations, here's what you need to know. Number one, Paul had surrendered his life to the work of the Great Commission. You're gonna fill in the blank the word work, but perhaps the more important word in that sentence is the word life. You might circle or underline that one as well. Because what we're gonna see as we study Philippians chapter one is you really can't surrender any situations in your life until you have surrendered your life to something. You say, why is that? Here's why. You can't see small situations clearly if there's not a big picture that you're looking at. It's like trying to see a single puzzle piece without the picture on the box. You can't see any of the small situations clearly until you know what the big picture of your life is. I love what Paul David Tripp says reading through my devotional this week. I saw this one on Monday morning. Go ahead and throw that up on the screen, guys, if you would. Tripp says, sound biblical doctrine of the future is the only way to arrive at a sound biblical understanding of the present. We need to stop and read that line again. That's really, really good. The only way we can see the purpose of today is if there's like a bigger purpose. Sound biblical doctrine of the future is the only way to arrive at a sound biblical understanding of the present. This current time is never a destination. It's a preparation for a final destination for pilgrims on a journey. So followers of Jesus never make their life just about today. Followers of Jesus never make their life just about right now. Followers of Jesus never make their life about a season because we are pilgrims on a journey. And the point of our life is never just what's going on today. However, because of the Great Commission, there is a point to what's happening in our life today. Meaning this, the point of our life is not what's happening today. But what's happening today does have a point. It does have a purpose because of Jesus and what he's called us to. And the Apostle Paul says, I've been called the Great Commission work. 
I can surrender my situation because I already know what God has called me to. Did you see what he said in those first 11 verses as he talks about great commission work? He said, I've been called to be a servant of Christ. I've been, in verse one, I've been called to be a servant of the gospel. In verse five, I've been called to be a servant of other Christians, he says. In verses seven and eight, and he says, I've been called to be a servant of discipleship, helping people know who Jesus is and what Jesus is about, and sanctification, helping people actually live for Jesus in their daily life, in the life of others. Paul says, I can look at every situation and surrender it because this is the big picture of my life. Is what I'm going through able to help me serve Christ? The answer to that question every time is yes. So there's a purpose, there's a point for my situation. Is what I'm going through, is my current situation have the ability for me to serve the gospel? Is there something that I'm going through that helps me more clearly understand how important Jesus is to me and how important his promises and his work are for me? The answer to that is yes every time. Is the situation that I've been walking through Is it something that will allow me to serve other people who maybe will walk through this situation one day too? The answer to that is always yes. Is there something about this situation that will help me in discipleship, helping people understand why you can trust God and live for him in sanctification, helping people understand why sometimes you can lose so God can win? The answer to that is yes every time. So Paul's looking at his situation saying, okay, I'm in prison, seems like a bad day, However, my life is not really about me in bad or good days. My life is about, is this helpful for my walk with Jesus? Is this helpful for my understanding of the gospel? Is this helpful for others? And could this ever be helpful for others walking with Jesus? The answer to that is always yes. So Paul says, I surrender my situation because once I see those four things clearly, everything else just fits into one of those categories. And the answer is, can I serve Jesus with those things? The answer is yes, every time. The point of our life is not today, but there is always a point for what you're going through today if you understand the Great Commission. Look at number two. We see that Paul had also mentally surrendered the purpose of his situation to Jesus. Paul couldn't look at what he was going through and evaluate it based on his experience. He had to evaluate it based on his call. So look at verses 12 through the first part of verse 18. Paul said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, pause. If you have your Bible, I hope you'll underline that. And that you'll see that Paul, at this point, is a passive, unwilling participant in his situation. You see that? Paul didn't choose this. I don't think Paul wanted this. Paul didn't cause this. Paul said, this thing is happening to me. I have no control of what's going on, but I have control of how I see it and how I think about it. This thing is happening to me. I didn't choose it. I didn't cause it. I don't want it. But it is my thing right now. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord. And they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Verse 15, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter, the goodwill ones, do so out of love knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the rivalry and envy, are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. They're not sincere. They're supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. But what does that matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. 
Let me summarize what really doesn't have to be summarized by a preacher who has studied the text. I think you could read that and give this summary yourself. The purpose of Paul's life was to make sure other people always saw Jesus in a picture of the gospel through his circumstances. Paul's like, what I'm going through right now is a win spiritually. Because as I look at it, I just see a lot of ways that God's using it. Um, how many of you have more than one child and they, are, they have a totally different mental makeup or DNA? How many of your son and daughters are radically different? Um, so my son, and some of you might have a kid like this. Um, any of you have a kid who like when you pick them up for school, you really shouldn't speak to them for about two hours. They just need a little time to like decompress. So that was my son, Christian. When we would pick him up from kindergarten, we had one question. Um, and like, if you went to two, it was too much. So like, he'd get in the car after a day at kindergarten. You'd be like, how was school, bud? He'd be like, good. You'd be like, what'd you do? And he'd immediately break out into tears and say, why do I have to answer all these questions? And I was like, whoa, 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 okay. So we learned when you pick up Christian, you bring him a snack or you take him to McDonald's, you give him four or five hours to decompress and maybe before bed, he might talk to you. Um, Casey, on the other hand, was different. Um, when you pick Casey up from school, she started telling you about her day in such great detail that until you started crying and said, why do you have to tell me every single detail? Like she wouldn't, st she wouldn't stop talking. Um, she like, you always knew what was going on in Casey's world, right Case? Love you. Um, <laughs> Christian from kindergarten to a year and a half ago, he's now a senior in college, um, didn't want to talk. Like that was him until like about 20. And then at some point during the middle of his junior year, he, he wanted to talk all the time. And you could know he wanted to talk because he would call you and he would, he would start the conversation, Danielle, with what words? I've been thinking. That's what he'd say. I've been thinking. At first, it was incredible because it was like, well, what have you been thinking about? And he'd just talk for hours. After a couple weeks, he would say that and we would try to figure out which one of us has to listen to him. Um, this time on the call, it's like, oh no, he's been thinking. You take the call. Because um, he really wanted to talk a lot. Um, I say all that to say this. Paul in Philippians 1 is sitting in prison. And he says, I've been thinking. I've been thinking about this. This is good. For the Great Commission, I've been thinking about how this is working out. He's like, this is incredible. He's like, I've been thinking about how um, because I'm here and I'm chained up, there are people hearing about Jesus who would never hear about Jesus any other way. And there are people who've met a Christian who would never meet a Christian any other way. I've been thinking, this is good. And I've been thinking that some people who have heard about me have become more courageous, which means there's a whole lot more people talking about Jesus. Like, I've been thinking about my situation, and it's really good what God is doing through my situation. He never says I'm thankful for my situation. He says I'm thankful for what God is doing through my situation right now. He's like, I'm able to see the spiritual winds in what is happening in my life right now. And it's interesting because I believe some of the most powerful words in the New Testament are Philippians 1.12. This might not be a verse that any of you have memorized because it's not Philippians 4.13 or Philippians 1.6 or Philippians 2 or 3.10.11. But Paul says this. I want you to underline it if you have your Bible. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul said, I've been thinking about my life and what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, here's the reality. This phrase can never be true to others until it's true to you. 
Paul couldn't say, look at my life, I can figure out how God's going to use it in you. Paul's saying, look at my life, I'm figuring out how God's using my life situation in me. And all these things that are happening to me are deepening the gospel in my relationship with Jesus. Let me say this to you as sincerely, as softly and as comfortably, um, as empathetically as I can. I'm sorry for what so many of you have gone through and are going through that's happened to you. A good God in the good world of Eden, a good God in the good world of Eden restored in Revelation 21 and 22 would not have planned for you to go through those things. So I don't want to sound harsh in saying, get over what's happened to you. I'm sorry for what has happened to you that has broken you. But Paul said, as I process my own faith journey, what has happened to me has actually served to advance my understanding of the gospel and others' understanding of the gospel. God is using it. I wouldn't have chosen it, but God is using it. Paul learned to look at the situations of his life and define the when. So my dad is a, uh, my dad turned 71 in December. He's a Hall of Fame human being. Um, and he, he is a Hall of Fame coach and athlete at like every stop of his life. So he's in, he's in his high school Hall of Fame um, in Blanchester, Ohio, a little town in southeastern Ohio that you've never been to unless you're from there. He's, he's in his high school Hall of Fame as an athlete. He's in his county, the county he grew up in. Um, in Ohio. He's in their Hall of Fame as an athlete and then later as a coach. He's in my high school Hall of Fame as the head football coach that I played for. He's in his college Hall of Fame, both as the college athlete that he was and then the football coach that he came back is. Like, uh, my dad is just, he's been successful in that world. He's a Hall of Fame man and he's just, he's in all the Hall of Fames that, like, if there is one, he's in it. But every now and then he'd have a bad season. And after I graduated from college and stopped playing football, my dad was coaching football at a small college up north and he was going through a rebuilding year. He had a lot of freshmen and sophomore that were playing and they lost almost every game. And every Friday, Danielle and I would get in the car and we'd go up there and I'd hang out with him on Friday night and then Saturday morning, I'd speak to the team at their kind of pregame chapel and then I'd be on the sidelines with him. And I remember one time talking to my dad on a Friday night because they were playing a really, really good team. And I was like, dad, um, is there any chance we're gonna win the game tomorrow? And he said, no, not a chance. It's like, <laughs> you're sure? He's like, there's, there's nothing that could happen that would cause it. There's no way we can win this game. And I'm like, then how do you, what do you want me to say to the team tomorrow to encourage them, like if winning is not the goal? He said, winning's the goal, but not the game. And he's like, no, every now and then you need to understand when you're in a season where the win has to look different. And he said, what I do with this group of guys is I have, I, I have redefined the win. He said, this year we're just trying to win halves, not games. And a lot of times the only half we win is when they put their second team in. But we try to win halves and we celebrate that. If we can't win a half, we try to win a quarter. There are some teams that we play, I know we will never even win a quarter, so I'll ask, I'll ask our kids to win plays. And he said, on Monday morning, we'll break down the film, and the goal will be for every one of our athletes to have more wins than losses on the plays, because we're not going to win the game, we're not going to win the half, we're not going to win the quarter. We're just not good enough or old enough. It's not going to happen. And I was like, what if the other guy's just physically dominant and they can't win plays? And he said, then we'll judge them by wins on their assignment. If you do the right thing at the right time, you get a win. If you do the wrong thing at the wrong time, you get a loss. He said, we're not going to win the game, but I will teach them how to win, and eventually we will. That's what Paul's saying about life. You have to see the win of the gospel. You can't look at the scoreboard after every day of life and say, was it a good day or a bad day? 
You have to see the win as the gospel. On this day, I had the ability to know Jesus more deeply. On this day, I had the ability to understand the gospel more clearly. On this day, something happened to me that will allow me to serve others. On this day, it made it possible for me to understand my own discipleship and sanctification in a way that's gonna help me serve others in their life. You see, nobody can see the truth of the gospel through your circumstance until you see the truth of the gospel through your circumstance and you give it to God and say, God, this has happened to me, but I give it to you because I know you can redeem it in beautiful and powerful ways. Paul actually gave us a list of the things he'd surrendered. Did you see him in Philippians 1? I'm gonna throw them up on the screen. Um, Paul's like, God used the chains. I'm in chains, God used those. Uh, God used their envy. Guys were jealous of me, God used it. God used their rivalry. He used their selfishness. God, used, like there's some people making trouble. God used all that stuff. And then he said the famous question at the end, what, in, in any way, what does it matter? What does it matter what happens to me as long as God can use it to work through me? God used all these things that people had against me. Who cares? At the end of the day, I saw and needed Jesus more deeply and others saw and needed Jesus more clearly. You say, how can a guy sitting unjustly in prison who had his freedoms taken away as a citizen of the empire that he was in say, what does it matter how people treat me? What does it matter my situation as long as people can see Jesus through it? He must have a different goal in life than we do, and he did. And he said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You say, how can someone say the hard things in my life, what does it matter as long as people clearly see Jesus? Well, you follow a guy who gladly went to the cross so that people could be connected to God. And you say, I'm trying to be like that guy. I'm trying to think like that guy. I'm trying to process like that guy. I'm trying to surrender like that guy. So every time I look at my situation, I compare it to the cross and I try to surrender like Jesus surrendered. Serve Christ, serve the gospel, serve Christians, disciple others sanctify others. You say, in jail? Yes, in jail. Look at number three. Paul had surrendered his personal hopes and dreams for Jesus' mission and his calling. So do you think Paul was discouraged? Of course he was. However, his life was no longer about him. He'd surrendered his personal hopes and dreams for Jesus' mission and calling, so he had to look at his life through the lens of what Jesus wanted in his life, not what he wanted in his life. He had to do this. He he had to believe his life was more about Jesus than about him. I think it will be impossible to surrender our situations as long as we believe our life is still about us. But when we believe our life in every situation we find ourselves is ultimately about Jesus, our understanding of the gospel, our need of the gospel, our clarity of helping other people understand the gospel, then we can look at everything. In our, we can surrender our hopes and dreams for Jesus' mission and his calling. Look at second half of verse 18 through verse 26, and we'll wrap up. Paul said, I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I'll in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain 
And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So we just read some legendary verses in Philippians chapter one. As a matter of fact, if you are someone who has verses tattooed on you, there's a good chance that if you get to like number 10, um, you, these, this will be one of your top 10, Philippians 121. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I'm not saying I have that tattoo, will ever get that tattoo. I'm not saying you should, but if you do, this is a good one. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But I believe this verse is terribly misunderstood because we usually quote that in reference to us. Like we look at Philippians 121, Paul saying, when I look at my life, it's a win-win. If I die, it's a win. If I live, it's a win. No matter how I look at my life because of Jesus, my life is a win-win for me. That's not what Paul's saying at all. Paul's saying is I look at my mission, whether I die or whether I live, it's a win-win for you. Paul's not looking at his life based on whether things are a win for him or a loss for him. He's looking at his life based on whether or not God can use things in him to be a win spiritually, even when we lose. My loss is a win-win if it helps others see Jesus clearly in you. See, Paul's primary hope and dream for his life was that God would use it for the Great Commission. Philippians 1.21 didn't mean my life's a win-win. I'm gonna die and go to heaven or I'm gonna live and keep doing ministry. He stated his hope for his life the verse before in Philippians 1.20. He said, I eagerly expect and hope that I won't be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he said, for to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain. My purpose in life is that it would be a win-win for you. That no matter what happens to me, you see Jesus in me. My hope is that my life would be a win-win for you. I just want people to see Jesus. You'll know that you have begun to surrender your situation when you'll stop trying to figure out how do I get out of my situation. And you'll start looking around saying, where has Jesus gotten into my situation? where others can see him from my situation. One of the first ways, I'll hit it one more time because it's happening next week. One of the first ways you begin to make your life about Jesus and not about you is through public baptism. Next Sunday, right now, we have about 70 people registered to get baptized after church in our baptism and cookout service. It'll be the first practice for some people to say, my life is not about me, it's about Jesus. And I want people when they look at me to see Jesus. Baptism is the first way you do that. But then the way you continue that is you invite Jesus into every situation and say, okay, instead of getting out of this situation, what can I get out of this situation that helps me see you and helps others see you in me? Because that is the goal. So Paul says, uh, if I die, I'll go to heaven, that'd be good. If I live, I'll do ministry. And he said, as I look at my situation, I've realized this is the most valuable part of my situation. He said, I have become convinced that it's more necessary that I remain in this situation. Paul was convinced two things regarding his situation that are also true of your situation if you're a follower of Jesus. Paul said, as I look around, I'm gonna choose to remain in the situation because here's what I know. God's in it and God's gonna use it. I don't know what situation you walked into the room in, but here's what I know about that situation. God's in it and God will use it if you're a follower of Jesus. I don't know what situation has happened to you that you didn't choose and you had no control of and that you didn't cause. 
But I know this, if you're a follower of Jesus, God is in that situation and God will use that situation. I'm not sure what situation you are waiting to end so that you can start your life again. But I know this, God is in that situation and God will use that situation. And it could be that the exit door to the situation that you're stuck in is found not trying to get out of the situation, but it's found in trying to get out of the situation. Where is God in this situation? And where does God want to use this situation? And it could be that the answer to those two questions is your exit door right out of the situation that you've been in. For eight weeks, we're gonna lay some tracks, use some training wheels, figure out how to surrender. But it's gonna start with a mindset that says, there's a picture of my life that's bigger than me. There's a mission of my life that's bigger than me. Everything is not about the today and the now. God has called me to serve Jesus, serve the gospel, serve his people, serve in discipleship and sanctification. And I will now begin to look at everything that happens in my life in that light. I find it really interesting that we're getting ready as we kick into October to reboot our Bible reading program. We had about a thousand people at our church who attempted to start reading through the Bible this year. Most have gotten further in a year than they've ever gotten before. And a lot are restarting in October because we start the New Testament. For those of you who started with us, you remember we started the year in January in Job. I'm not sure if Tara Lee was just trying to weed out the week or what. I, I don't think that's the best place to start a Bible reading program, but we spent our first few weeks in misery with Job. Job is, as far as we know, the only book of the Bible that was written or that is said to have happened before the Torah was given to God's people. So Job, the story of Job and the conversations in Job happened before Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And because there was no special revelation, almost every chapter of Job ends with this question, where is God and what is he doing? Almost every chapter ends with that question because there was no special revelation that had been given to people. So almost every chapter of Job has this question, where in the world in God, is God and what in the world is he doing? And then we fast forward thousands of years and we meet the person of God in a man named Jesus. And Paul now takes the exact opposite approach. Paul said, without God and a knowledge of God, I might look at my situation and say, where's God and what is he doing? But that's not how I look at things because I know Jesus. So my question instead is, okay, God, you're in this. How do you want to use it? I know God is in my situation. I know God is using my situation. And Paul said, it's necessary. My situation is necessary for my life to be effective for Jesus. So I'm just gonna stay right here until God is done using this situation and then I'll move on to the next thing. What has God said to your heart today? What do you need to process? What do you need to release? What do you need to cry out for help for? What do you need to see with a different perspective so that you might surrender your situation so God can use it in you and then eventually through you? Our service is closed with a couple prayer questions that'll scroll on the screen a question that will prompt a response that hopefully will turn into a prayer. At the end of those questions, I'll come up and close us in prayer, but God, now open our hearts as we reflect on what we've heard, as we apply it to our life, as we turn it into prayer. Holy Spirit, come meet with us. Be gentle in our spirits and meet with us as we process truth today. In Jesus' name, amen.